Hello, I'm Alec, and this is Scandal 101. Alrighty, first things first. If I sound sick, it's because I am. I have a head cold. Luckily, I was able to go get COVID tested, and it is not COVID, so it's just one of those annoying head colds where you don't feel great, but there's really nothing you can do about it, and it's just gonna last however long it lasts, so that's fun. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have had a good week. Happy Friday. In terms of a scandal or scandals that I have seen in the news recently, I read an article just either, just I think this morning, about New Jersey and something with a scandal in their prison system. Their prison system has faced scrutiny for the abuse and exploitation of inmates, particularly at the state women's prison. I just pulled up an article and it's from nj.com, written by S.P. Sullivan, and it kind of talks about it. What I've gathered about it is that it sounds like their prison system has had a decent history of abuse, which it kind of seems like a lot of prison systems have history and patterns of abuse, but that's a whole other topic. But the governor appointed, appointed a new commissioner, which hopefully she will do a better job. Her name is Victoria Kuhn, and as of the article update of today, she still has to be confirmed by the state senate, but hopefully she will ensure that whatever abuse was happening is not happening anymore. On that positive note, this scandal is kind of mind-boggling. My friend Allison sent me this long website article kind of thing and was like, hey, you should look at this because it has ties to where we go to school. And so I looked into it. And let me tell you this, it's ultimately a very sad story. But there are elements of it that kind of make I guess they kind of make you scratch your head and you're like, oh, there are really people who think things like this. So let's, (laughs) let's dive into it. This episode, as you saw from the title, is called Brainwashing a Family, the story of Richard and Susan Hamlin. And before I dive into this case, I do want to put a just kind of overall warning that there is talks of molestation, child abuse, and spousal abuse throughout this episode, just so you know. Um, I didn't really, I tried not to include too many graphic details, but just know that going in, and if there are spots where I feel like they are a little graphic, I'll try to remember to say that that part is coming up, but just know going in that topics of spousal abuse, child abuse, and molestation are discussed throughout this episode. One thing I'm going to start doing instead of saying my sources throughout is I'm going to say my sources at the top of the show. And then of course I post the show notes with links to where I get all my sources, but I figure it's just easier to say all the sources at the beginning rather than like trying to throw them in wherever in the episode. So my sources in alphabetical order are I watched an Evil Lives Here episode, season two, episode nine, titled Trapped in Hell. 
an article from the California Bar Journal titled Ex-Prosecutor Suspended After Torture Conviction, an article titled Brainwashed by Her Husband, uh, Gerdos, Stanock, and Murphy wrote it for ABC News. Richard Hamlin has his own website titled The Case Against Dr. Sidney Seamer. An article by L or by P. Lakey for The Village Life published in 2019. The court case People v. Hamlin and an article titled The Bizarre Case of Richard and Susan Hamlin. Awesome, awesome. Those are my sources. So let's dive into the story. On February 26th, 2004, it was probably just another normal day at the Sheriff's Department in El Dorado County, California. And just in case you're not from here, or you're like me, I'm not very familiar with California, El Dorado County is just a bit east of Sacramento and Folsom. It was likely seeming like a normal day until Susan and her husband, Richard, walked through the door. What they would tell the Sheriff's Office would be shocking, to say the least. Susan explained to the people she was talking to at the sheriff's department that she had been molesting her children. Further, it was said that Susan was conspiring with a satanic cult to murder Richard, her husband. Also, when the two walked in, Susan had cracked ribs and a broken nose. Her explanation for those injuries was that it was a fellow cult member who got violent with her when she backed out on the murder plot of her husband. And one last thing, Susan's father was said to be the head of this satanic cult and had been brainwashing Susan since she was a child. On that note, let's go back to the beginning of the story. Richard and Susan met while they were attending law school at McGeorge School of Law in Sacramento, California. Richard said, quote, I met her at law school. I was knocked out of my shoes by her. We then, you know, really had a very blessed life, end quote. Susan said, quote, He was my Prince Charming. I married at 27 and had always looked forward to falling in love and getting married and having a family, end quote. Susan also said that she was more of a shy person and Richard had an outgoing personality and it was really his outgoing personality that initially drew her to him. The two eventually got married and they seemed to have an idyllic life and an idyllic family. They had four kids together. Richard eventually became a big successful hotshot defense lawyer in Sacramento, and Susan graduated from law school, but she eventually uh, put her law career aside to be a, quote, hands-on mom to their four children, end quote. Susan said about this, quote, he was very persuasive in convincing me that I wanted to give up my career to be a mom, end quote. First of all, I'm not a mom, surprise, surprise, but Being a mom is definitely a full-time job, so if you are a mom, regardless of whether you have a job that's not being a mom, good for you. As established earlier, Richard was a very successful lawyer. They lived in a ritzy, rich neighborhood in Sacramento. They attended church together as a family, and everything seemed to be picture perfect. As unfortunate as it is, most good things do not last forever. Richard and Susan, their marriage wasn't working out, and they both listed different reasons as to why their marriage wasn't working. Richard said that Susan was dealing with severe bouts of depression, she had self-esteem issues, which eventually led to personality changes. Susan said about this, quote, He was experimenting with drugs, and he had always been unfaithful. Nothing would ever be enough, whether it was success, money, drugs, alcohol, partying, sex, anything. He was insatiable, end quote. 
Not only were there problems between the two of them and with their marriage, but Richard was finding something else irritating about Susan. He did not like how close Susan was with her father. Susan said about her father, quote, Growing up, my dad and I were very close. He really played a large role in my life. That never really stopped, and I really valued my dad's opinion on things. Richard didn't like how close I was to my family, or particularly my dad. End quote. Richard wasn't just displeased with Susan and her father's relationship, but how Susan and her father's relationship presented itself. For example, Richard didn't like how Susan's dad hugged her or the fact that Susan's dad would put his arm around her during a picture. You know, the horrible act of putting your arm around your daughter to take a picture. <laughs> quote, he thought that was inappropriate and should stop immediately. End quote. Richard kept getting bothered by the fact that Susan's dad would hug her, and Susan's response was essentially like, um, we're a close family, I love my dad, we hug, like, that's just how our family expresses, like, love, that's how, you know, like, we see each other, we hug, whatever, like, that's just normal for our family. And of course, people have different norms with their family. On my dad's side of the family, like, we're not very huggy. I'll hug my dad, my dad will hug me, but it's more like when we're, you know, saying goodnight or I come home for a little bit or whatever. But like with me and my sisters, or my sisters and I, whatever is grammatically correct, I'll give them like a little side hug and we both make like disgusted faces, <laughs> which is just like how we sh say goodbye. And of course, we're not actually disgusted with each other, but it's just like the norm. Families have different things. Maybe Richard's family didn't hug growing up, and that's fine. But I would think that your wife, who you married and in theory are supposed to support and love and take care of, be a good partner to, you would think that, okay, you know, I didn't grow up with this kind of touchy-feely family relationship, but if that's what you grew up with, cool, good for you. Happy to see it. So Richard kept getting bothered by it. Her response was like, yo, we're a close family. But he just kept getting more and more angry, more bothered by it. And Susan said, quote, I remember starting to feel like maybe there was something wrong with me. Why would I think it's okay if he's saying it really is inappropriate? End quote. So he's starting to implant seemingly some doubt into her mind of like, Maybe it is weird that I hug my dad so much. I don't know. Like, we always grew up doing it, but I don't know. Maybe it is a little weird. Eventually, kind of how Susan described that sex was never enough, there was never enough sex for Richard, Susan said that he started wanting to have sex more and more. Quote, he didn't want to come home to a soccer mom. He wanted to come home to a wife. End quote. She said looking back that it was probably a red flag that she should have seen, but Susan said that when she was growing up, her mother always told her that marriage took hard work, it took compromise, and Susan kind of reasoned to herself that maybe this is just one of those things that was normal in marriages and I just kind of had to get used to. Which in no way am I blaming Susan for not seeing these flags, but just know that it's okay to... I don't even, like, okay isn't even the right word. You should talk about your sex life with your partner to, like, make sure you both are on the same page and are comfortable with what's happening. <laughs> PSA from Alec. Thank you so much for attending.
So all of these negative things are happening in their marriage. It seems like they're both unhappy for different reasons. Susan is saying that Richard is demanding sex more and more. And then all of a sudden, Richard drops a bomb on Susan. He suggests to her that her father, Susan's father, had sexually molested Susan when she was a child. Quote, He just kept going on and saying that I was sexually repressed, prudish because I was sexually molested by my father when I was a child, end quote. Susan, of course, was like, uh, no, that's not true, that didn't happen, like, where is this even coming from? (laughs) Like, where did you get this information? I never told you this. Where did you come up with this allegation all of a sudden? Despite Susan essentially being like, no, what are you talking about? My dad's a good dad. He never did that. I never experienced anything like that. I love my dad very much. He's like a perfect dad. Like, what are you talking about? That didn't stop Richard from pursuing his mission to prove to Susan that her dad had molested her and he was going to prove it. One of his ways to do this were called the memory-getting sessions. Richard thought and he claimed that the emotional turmoil Susan was experiencing was because of her repressed memories of the sexual abuse by her father. What would take place in these sessions is that Richard would sit Susan down and they would look through old photo albums together like from her childhood, and these would be normal photos such as her father reading her a story, pictures of Susan when she was little and she had friends over for a sleepover, things like that normal photos that you would expect a loving and caring father to take of his daughter while she's growing up. Just like, hey, I'm reading a book to you. Let's take a picture. Hey, you're at a sleepover with your friends. Let me take a picture of y'all. Like just normal photos. What Richard would essentially do is he would take an innocent looking photo and he would throw in his own distortion to make it seem like there were nefarious things going on there. Like he would be like, oh, look how your father's grabbing you while he's reading the book. And Susan was like, literally, he was just reading a book to me. Like, what are you saying? And these sessions weren't short. They would last for hours and they would go all throughout the night. And as probably if you're a true crime fan, if you probably know that sleep deprivation is a great way to start to break someone's mental psyche. Richard wasn't only determined to get his wife to remember the alleged abuse from her father, but he was someone who liked to have authority. One way he would do this is he kept weapons in the house, such as guns and swords. He, at times, would pull out the sword, swing it around, and wield it at Susan while yelling at her. Because of his authority, because he was determined to take Susan's father down, he eventually decided to build a case against Susan's father and sue him for depriving him of a wife with a healthy sexual appetite. Let me say this again. Richard was going to sue Susan's father on the claims that he had molested her, of which he had no evidence, Susan had never said anything about this, and he was going to sue Susan's father for depriving him of a wife with with a healthy sexual appetite. (laughs) Okay. Okay, Richard. While he's building this case against Susan's father, he's ensuring that Susan isn't seeing her family. No one was allowed to come to the house, no one was allowed to call the house, no one was allowed to talk to anybody. He's starting to isolate Susan from her family. 
These memory session, these memory getting sessions continued, and even though Richard kept asking for details about the alleged molestation Susan was apparently supposed to have experienced from her father, Susan was like, there's nothing for me to remember because it literally did not happen. So what are you talking about? This next part is going to dive a little bit into the spousal abuse, domestic abuse. Just so you know, again, I'm tried not to include too many graphic details, but there are a little bit of details, so just know that going into this next part. Unfortunately, Susan and Richard's relationship did physically, or did become physically violent. In the Evil Lives Here episode, Susan gave an account of the first time Richard hit her, and I'm not going to cite, or I'm not going to like quote her, but if you go to the sources, you can look at the episode and you can listen to her tell her story because it is, um, even though it's a horrible story, it is cool to see someone be strong enough to tell their story and say, you know, I was in this horrible situation, but I was able to get out. But essentially, he started becoming physically violent. And one thing that interested me was she said, she talked about how surprised she was the first time that Richard hit her. I'm sure to anyone would be shocking because when you get married or when you have a significant other, in theory, you're supposed to love each other, take care of each other. You're not supposed to abuse them, hit them. So Susan talked about how it was shocking the first time that he hit her. After that point, it unfortunately didn't stop. He became more violent, breaking her nose, dislocating her jaw, breaking her ribs. If you go to the um, Evil Lives Here episode, you can hear her talk a little bit more about it. There are some pictures of like bruises and stuff, which I'm not going to include on the social media posts, but they are out there if you have any interest in getting a more graphic side of the story in terms of how awful of a person Richard was to Susan. One thing I hope you haven't forgotten throughout this episode is that Richard and Susan have four kids, and they're all of the age of where they're living at home. Unfortunately, their kids weren't spared from this abuse. They saw him be abusive to Susan, and the kids said that he would sometimes take his anger out on them as well. And in the episode, um, they had the kids interviewed, and they were talking about how some of them would go hide in closets and would hear the violence that Susan was facing on behalf of Richard and just, ugh, I can't even imagine living in that household. Because Richard was so violent, and not only was he violent, remember he, before he quit his job to build this case against Susan's father. He was a very successful attorney. He made a lot of money. He supported the lifestyle that the family had. So he's not only the, you know, the father figure, but he's influential. He has a lot of money. So the kids learned from a young age that it was better to not go against their father. This would work against Susan when she tried to escape with her kids. And I hate in domestic violence stories when people are like, well, why didn't you just try to leave? There are so many factors that causes someone not to leave. It's not as simple as just like packing up. But Susan did try to leave. She learned that Richard was coming home and she was like, I literally cannot do this anymore. So she packed her kids up. She packed her things up to go. And as they were walking out the door, she turned around and her oldest child did not want to leave. He didn't want to be seen as taking his mother's side over his father's side. 
So Susan made the very difficult decision to take her other three kids and herself to the hotel and left her oldest child behind at the house with basically no money because remember, she had given up her law career to be a stay-at-home mom. She had to return home. And she talked about the immense fear she had going home because she had taken three of her kids and herself and tried to escape. So when she returned home, she walked in the door And luckily, for whatever reason, Richard had not returned home, but she walked in and faced the realization of what she had done. She left one of her kids behind. Quote, I didn't see any way out. I felt so controlled and trapped by fear. I didn't want to leave my kids because they were still in the house, but I couldn't leave with my kids. I felt so trapped and I couldn't figure a way out. End quote. So at this point, Richard has at least one of their kids on his side for sure. He has put so much fear into Susan that she can't figure out how to leave this horrible situation she's in, and she's just feeling, like, hopeless. Eventually, to further ensure his kids' loyalty, he started telling their kids that Susan was a victim of a satanic cult ran by Susan's father, their grandfather, who his and his position, Susan's father's position, was the high priest of the cult. Richard said that Susan wanted to be the high priest of the cult and that him beating Susan was him beating the demons out of her. So he was trying to justify to his kids like, hey kids, you see me beating your mother? That's because your mother is a victim of a satanic cult and I need to beat the demons out of her. And as unfortunate as it is and as hard as it is to believe from an outside perspective, the kids started to believe Richard. And again, this goes back to he was the breadwinner, he was a successful lawyer, he made all the money, he had a lot of authority in that household. Richard also started to say that not only was their grandfather a member, or not even a member, the high priest of the satanic cult, but that their grandfather wanted to kill Richard. Susan tells a story of one time where some Jehovah's Witnesses came to the door just to like talk and be like, hey, do you want our pamphlet? And Susan was like, no, we're good, thanks anyways, and like sent them on their way. Richard ran down the stairs, freaked out, and was like, who was that at the door? And Susan was like, Um, It was just some Jehovah's Witnesses, and Richard is like, no, it, it was members of the satanic cult. So Richard grabbed his gun, flung open the door, and started chasing them. Susan was in the house, and she heard a bang, and Richard ran back into the house. When Richard ran back into the house, his leg was covered in blood, and Richard told Susan that his gun had accidentally went off and shot himself in the leg. What he told his kids was a different story. He told his kids that he had been shot by a member of the satanic cult and like, look, look how much damage that cult is willing to do. They're willing to shoot me. They want to kill me. We need to, we need to prepare for war. And that was exactly what he did. He started barricading the windows, the doors, and told his family they needed to prepare for war. He would sleep with Susan with a gun pointed at her all night. This next story could be a little upsetting, uh, just so you know, but there was one day where Richard got their two sons in the back of, in the backseat of their car and then put Susan in the passenger seat and Richard was driving. They drove for quite a while and they eventually went to a field. And along this entire ride, the two sons had paintball guns pointed at Susan's head. Essentially, Richard had told them, 
make sure you shoot your mother if she moves or talks. So Susan was like sitting as still as she could this whole car ride. She didn't talk. She didn't move. So they drove to this field. And in this field, Richard dragged her out of the car, drug her somewhere to the field, put her on her knees, pointed a gun at her head, and asked her if she was ready to die. Her sons in the car watching, they were like, oh my god, like, our mom's gonna die. And Susan said that she was sure that Richard was gonna pull that trigger. She said that she was saying a silent prayer to herself. And fortunately, for whatever reason, Richard decided he needed Susan for something else. So he drug her back to the car, and they all drove home. The reasons why Richard likely didn't kill Susan is because we're now at the point of the story where we started. It's at this point when Susan and Richard go to the police department in El Dorado County, and just as a refresher, Susan admitted to the plot to murder her husband and molesting her kids. Sergeant Thomas Hoagland said, quote, I knew that she was an attorney at one time, and I explained to her, Now Susan, you have just admitted to being involved in a conspiracy to murder your husband, end quote. And again, this murder was apparently supposed to make Susan the high priestess of the satanic cult. Sergeant Hoagland, he was like, yeah, this, this story about the satanic cult, it doesn't make sense. This is the most whack story like I've ever heard. And he also said, quote, it's even more rare that you have a mother molest male and female children. So things weren't adding up. She was afraid of something else. When I told her she wasn't going to be arrested, she seemed shocked. She appeared terrified. End quote. As was just established in the quote, Susan was not arrested. The person who was the most disappointed in this was Susan. Susan at that point thought that her only escape was going to be able to be arrested and that she could finally be free from her husband. So <laughs> that's why she admitted to all of those things. But she wasn't able to find that escape. Even after telling the police that she was a Satan worshiper and that she was molesting her kids, the police were like, eh, something isn't adding up. So they did, the police did take the kids into child protective services and the couple went home. Susan said that she was scared because Richard was probably going to be super mad because the two were going home alone and their kids had been taken away. Susan was probably like, what is he going to do now that there are no children in the house? After the police took the children, they started interviewing them, and through interviews, after a couple hours, the children started to realize that what they had been seeing and what they had been being told were basically a complete lie. The abuse that Richard was doing to Susan, the stuff about the satanic cult, like the abuse was legitimately happening, but the reasons for it were all lies. It turned out that there was no satanic cult, there was no, like none of that was true. The kids came to the realization like, oh my god, our father has been lying to us and has been beating our mother and we took our father's side. So they finally realized that, oh my god, our father is the bad guy, not our mother, Susan. So when Susan and Richard got home, and again, the kids weren't there because they were taken away, Richard was like, oh, heck yeah, kids are away, let's party. And of course, Susan was having a hard time with that because she was like, um, you're terrifying and you've almost killed me and you've beaten me, you've pistol whipped me, 
You've done all these things. And so he's like, yeah, let's party. Let's have sex. Finally, on February 28th, 2004, and this was two days after Susan and Richard had initially gone to the sheriff's department, there was a knock at the door. The sheriff's off. the sheriff's, whoa, the sheriff's office came in and they arrested Richard. Richard was indicted on 18 counts. Those were torture, three counts of child abuse, assault by means of force likely to produce a great bodily injury, making a criminal threat, inflicting corporal injury on a spouse, false imprisonment by violence, inflicting corporal injury on a spouse with a great bodily injury enhancement, assault with a deadly weapon or by means of force likely to produce great bodily injury, making a criminal threat with an arming enhancement, false imprisonment by violence with an arming enhancement, inflicting corporal injury on a spouse, assault with a deadly weapon or by means of force likely to produce great bodily injury with a firearm use enhancement, making a criminal threat with a firearm use enhancement, discharge of a firearm with gross negligence, inflicting corporal injury on a spouse with a great bodily injury or great bodily injury enhancement, and then the last charge was assault by means of force likely to produce a great bodily injury. And the reason why I wanted to list those off is to give you a picture of those charges went to a grand jury and the grand jury was like, we have enough evidence to charge you with all of these things. Just remember that these are just charges. These are not convictions. He's not guilty of these things as of yet. These are just the charges that he's charged with. As we all know, the best thing that you can do for yourself is to represent yourself in court. Wrong. (laughs) And that is exactly what Richard did. Richard decided to defend himself. And in most cases, I would say that that's a horrible idea. But in this case, he was a, at least before, was a very successful defense attorney. So he had the skill set to do it. I mean, my opinion is even if you have that skill set, there's no way you can represent yourself in an objective manner. But whatever, he chose to represent himself. He was in jail, so after he got charged, he was in jail for one and a half years where he prepared his case from. The center of his defense was that Susan had told him about her father abusing her, and then after Richard was arrested is when she flipped her story. The prosecutor in the case, named Vicki Ashworth, said that his claims didn't hold much weight, and she said that she had, quote, laid it out as a very severe domestic violence case, end quote. At some point, either before or during the trial, he either got an attorney or had another attorney or stopped representing himself, but at one point, another attorney entered the picture for him and the trial continued. After the trial, the jury was sent to deliberate, and on January 10th, 2006, Richard was found guilty of torture and other multiple charges, but torture was the most serious charge he faced. He was also convicted on three counts of spousal abuse, making death threats, and three counts of child endangerment. He was acquitted of seven charges and the jury was deadlocked on three other charges. He was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole, but don't you worry because he planned to appeal it because he thought that he was the victim. He said, quote, I'm in here for crimes that I did not commit. Yeah, I'm a victim, end quote, which like, oh, poor baby, you beat your wife for, I think, years, and you're the victim for going to jail? Oh, poor you. Like, (laughs) are you kidding me, Richard? You're a dick. 
Susan said about him going to prison, quote, My kids and I will be dealing with issues from this abusive situation for the rest of our lives. So in that sense, no, we're never free from it. But I'm no longer under his control. His brainwashing no longer has any effect. My thoughts are my own now. So in that sense, I feel free. End quote. And as was kind of established with that quote, even though her kids had been turned against her while Richard was living in the house, Susan and her kids were able to rebuild the relationship. Susan said that she apologized to her father because we can't forget about him. Richard had been publicly accusing him of molesting his children and accusing anyone of molestation is horrible, but Susan's father was a prominent doctor and faced a lot of harm toward his reputation because of this. But it does seem like Susan and her father were able to rebuild the relationship. Susan was kind of like, from what Susan said, it was like they talked about it once and then they just like put it aside and didn't talk about it again in it. And it seems like they had a decent relationship until he passed away of like old age or something. To update you on Richard, in 2019, he tried to get out of prison early. The California Board of Parole Hearings denied his request for release. Even though Susan and her kids were pleased with the result, they were surprised because the hearing wasn't supposed to happen. They were told that he wouldn't be eligible for an early release hearing until 2021. Richard was told in that 2019 hearing that he would have to be in prison for at least seven more years before he could have any chance of getting out. So as far as I can tell, he has to be in prison at least... The latest information I could find is he has to be in prison at least until 2026 before he could be eligible for parole. If you look at the sources, Richard Hamlin, he posted or published a website like himself, and I'm assuming he did this before he went to prison, where it's ridiculously long and it lays out his case as to why he shouldn't have gone to prison. And I didn't really include a lot of information from it just because... Like, I did read it, but I had a hard time believing it. There's stuff in there about how Susan's sister was also apparently molested by their father. It's in the show notes if you want to go read it, but I tried to only report on stuff that I feel like is factually accurate and that has some backing to it, and his website doesn't really have a lot, but it is in the show notes if you do want to go read it. Susan said that she hopes Richard doesn't try and appeal again, like to get out early, because it's not only traumatizing to her, but it's traumatizing to her entire family. About his denial for early release, she says, quote, but for now, we can breathe, end quote. And that concludes Brainwashing a Family, the story of Richard and Susan Hamlin. This story is One of the reasons why I chose it is because of the connection to the law school, but one of the main reasons I chose it is because despite the unfortunate reality that domestic violence is and the horrible situation that Susan and her children went through, it's super interesting to hear, I mean, they're clearly not true, but the crazy conspiracy theories of the satanic cult. There's other information I saw in a couple sources that was like there was apparently a prostitution ring involved, which I couldn't find too much information about that. And then one of the other reasons why I chose this case is because I feel like it should be made a bigger deal of, not only because it's kind of interesting to hear about how someone truly believed that there was a satanic cult and unfortunately like beat their spouse, but I think the case is a good illustration of 
how domestic violence and spousal abuse can start because it didn't start physical. It started with putting doubt in someone's mind and then it kind of started with sleep deprivation and then like it kept going until it became physical and obviously the pathway to abuse is different in many situations but I think this story is a good example of showing that domestic violence situations don't have to start with a punch. Like it kind of started with a mental psychological aspect and then it became physical. And at that point, Susan said herself that she felt trapped. She didn't know where to go. She didn't have any money. She didn't have a job. So like she didn't have any like a disposable income that she could control. So in my opinion, Richard put her in a situation to where she was stuck and it's just so unfortunate to hear. The positive at the end of the tunnel is Richard is in prison. Susan was able to rebond, reconnect with her kids. It seems like they have a healthy relationship and they are free from Richard. On that note, I am going to read a personal scandal, which this one's kind of short, but I did some research on it and I think I might do an episode about it. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of a preview. A lady wrote a book about the local college paying to use her underage daughters as prostitutes to to recruit basketball players. There was never an investigation. A banner came down, though. I'm just going to leave it at that because I did look it up, and if it's like there were no college names or anything in the thing that the person sent me, but from what I could find in the news, I think I know what that person's talking about, and I kind of want to do an episode about it. So you will probably hear an episode about that later. Um, But yeah, I was just super fascinated by it. And I hope you were as well. And on that note, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, sorry for sounding sick. Hopefully I don't sound like this next week when I record. But who knows, my body likes to hang on on colds for a while. So we'll see how long this one lasts. If you want to stay up with the latest, stay in touch on social media. I'm going to post some pictures related to this case. And again, I'm not going to post any abuse photos or anything like that. I'll probably just post photos of maybe some from the trial and some of like Richard and Susan. So that way you can know what they look like on Instagram at scandal 101 podcast on Twitter at scandal 101 pod on Facebook search scandal 101 podcast. You'll find us there. The website is scandal101podcast.podbean.com, which is where I have a link to all of the sources. And then if you do want to look at Richard Hamlin's website, it is in the show notes. And then if you have a personal scandal that you want read on the podcast, please send that to scandal101podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was definitely a fascinating one to research. I hope you have a good day, good morning, good night, whenever you're listening to this episode. And this has been episode five. What? (laughs) Episode five. Good God. Oh, it's the first week of school and my brain is shot. This has been episode 35 of Scandal 101.